You can turn to Mark chapter 6 in your Bibles, please. That'll be our scripture for this morning, Mark chapter 6. Elvis Presley used to frequent a steakhouse in Tennessee, Little Thompson's Steakhouse. He was good friends with the owner because the owner used to give him food before he was famous. He would feed him for free. And so one night Elvis goes into the steakhouse when he was at the height of his fame. And the, the restaurant was having the ultimate Elvis Presley impersonator contest. So Elvis decided for fun he was going to go and be in the contest. He sat in the back quietly. Of course, the owner is worried that everybody's going to freak out when they realize the real Elvis is there. But he was worried for nothing. When it was his turn, Elvis got up and sang Loved Me Tender, received polite applause, and came in in third place in the contest. The scripture we're looking at this morning, that is essentially the same thing that happens. The Christ, the Deliverer, the Savior of God's people, walks right into their midst. The very one Israel has longed for and hoped for and prayed for comes face to face with His own people. And yet, blinded by their unbelief, they don't see Him for who He really is. The real thing stares them right in the face. And all they see is an imitation. Oh, it's exactly... Like the Apostle John says in John chapter 1 verse 11. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. This morning the message is the difficulty of ministry in a culture of unbelief. Please stand and let's read together the first six verses of Mark's gospel chapter 6. Jesus went out from there, came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Please be seated. When we studied Mark chapter 4, we listened as Christ taught the truth of the kingdom through four parables. At the end of chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 5, we saw Jesus demonstrate His power through four miracles. Something I need to make sure you understand. All that Jesus has been preaching, all that Jesus has been teaching, all the mighty works He's been doing, 
aren't just for the benefit of the crowds of people who come to see Him. Understand, He is training His disciples to carry on His mission and ministry. They're in training. And what they're going to learn this day in Jesus' hometown is a lesson all of us who serve Christ must learn. And this is the lesson. Ministry in the midst of unbelief is difficult. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a culture of unbelief. Now, I'm not going to spend time this morning trying to convince you that we live in a culture that is saturated in unbelief. If you're too blind to see that, I can't help you. What I do want to do this morning is help you understand why ministry in the atmosphere of unbelief is so difficult. Here's why this is so important. The difficulty of any task is multiplied if it is unexpected and if it's not prepared for. In other words, not expecting what we're going to face and not being prepared for what we're going to face makes it more difficult to face it. Does that make sense? If we don't expect unbelief and understand what that's going to mean for us as we seek to minister in this world, it's going to get more difficult. So we need desperately to understand unbelief and what makes it so difficult to minister in a culture of unbelief. My goal today is to make us both aware of and prepared for the reality that ministry in a culture that is largely an unbelieving culture is just going to be hard. We need to know that and be prepared for it. So the question we're going to ask and answer today is this. Why is ministry in a culture of unbelief difficult? These verses we're looking at this morning give us three reasons. Here's the first reason. Why is ministry in a culture of unbelief difficult? Because unbelief rejects what it can't explain. Unbelief rejects what it can't explain. Now what we see happening in these verses is Jesus is going to his hometown. The hometown is Nazareth in Galilee. Now it's clear this is not a private family visit he's going home for. He brings all of his disciples with him. He's traveling as a teacher with all of his students with them. He's training them. He's preparing them to do the work of the kingdom. And as you see in verse 2, on the Sabbath day, he's in the synagogue. Of course he is. It's the day of worship. It's the Lord's day. So he goes to the place of worship. Now you have to understand, by this time, Jesus has become a person of significance. His name has become well known as a teacher and a miracle worker. So it would have been expected that he would have been asked to speak at the synagogue gathering. And he was. But you know what's astonishing? Verse 2, he began to teach in the synagogue. Mark doesn't tell us anything of what Jesus said while he was preaching. What Mark is interested in is not the content of Jesus' teaching, 
but it's the people's response to it. You'll notice Mark tells us in verse 2, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were astonished, amazed, astounded, but not in a good way. If you look at the end of verse 3, it says they were offended at him. So when it says they were astonished or they were amazed or they were astounded, this is animosity. You might say they despised him. The question is why? Look at verse 2. Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Jesus had never studied under a rabbi. See, all of the teachers of that day would have studied under another teacher, under a rabbi. We might say they'd gone to seminary, right? They'd gone to school. They'd been trained. But, but they look at Jesus. Where did Jesus get these teachings? He's never been to school. He never sat under any of the teachers. He never went to school. Never had uh, uh, you know, any professors. John 7.15 said the Jews were astonished saying, How has this man become learned having never been educated? We might say it like this. He didn't have the proper credentials. Yet here he is, he's preaching and teaching things that nobody's ever said before. Mark chapter 1 verse 22. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. In other words, Jesus is here teaching the Bible like he's the one that wrote it. With authority. And they can't explain it. How can a man who's never been trained, never been to school, never been educated, how can he get up and teach these things nobody's ever said before? They have no way to explain it. And what about all these miracles? Right? Such miracles as these performed by his hands. Where did he get these things? They have no way to explain how he can heal sick people. They have no way to explain how he can cast out demons. See, that's why the Jewish religious leaders said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. In other words, by Satan. Because there's only two options. Either it was the power of God or the power of Satan. And they weren't going to admit it was the power of God. So they had to accuse him of being possessed by the devil. And in the Nazareth people there are listening to Jesus and it's a puzzle to them. They don't understand how he can teach like this. They don't understand where this power is coming from. It, it, it's a puzzle and none of the pieces seem to fit. Well, the simplest explanation is that he is Christ, the son of the living God. But they refuse to believe that. And since they have no other explanation, they reject him. Why? Unbelief rejects what it has no explanation for. We learned in school, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. Do you know that when he left Spain with those three ships, that many, many people thought he would never return because he would sail off the end of the earth? 
Why did they say that? Because they believed the earth was flat. They refused to believe the earth was round. Why? They knew nothing about gravity. We take that for granted. They had no concept of gravity. They didn't know anything about that thing, you know, about gravity. This is before John Newton ever had the apple hit him on the head. And, you know, so they thought the world was flat. And here's why. Because they couldn't explain how if the earth is round, how people didn't fall off of it. You understand? They had no explanation for that. So they thought the earth must be flat. What am I saying? Unbelief rejects what it can't explain. They couldn't explain how the earth could be round, so they just assumed that it wasn't. Look, why do people refuse to believe that the miracles in the Bible actually took place? Because miracles defy explanation. They're supernatural. What does that mean? Miracles defy the laws of nature. Miracles can't be explained by science. That's the definition of supernatural. It can't be explained by the laws of nature. People refuse to believe in miracles because they can't explain miracles. People say, you can't prove the creation story that God created the world in six days. No, you can't prove it. It's a miracle. You can't prove anything that's supernatural by the laws of nature. And unbelief rejects what it can't explain. And that's one thing that makes ministry in a culture steeped in unbelief so hard. Listen, we preach the virgin birth, the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these are realities that cannot be fully explained by laws of nature and science. They must be embraced by faith. But unbelief is the absence of faith. And unbelief simply will not accept what it cannot explain. To be saved, a person has to believe realities that defy the human ability to fully explain. To be saved, a person has to believe they were created by an invisible God and they are fully accountable to him. They must believe that God became a man and that man is Jesus Christ. They must believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. They must believe he died on the cross as a penal substitute for sinners. They must believe he rose bodily, physically from the dead. Oh, there is much evidence to support these realities. But these realities can never be explained sufficiently to eliminate the need for faith. You understand? The gospel can never be explained to the point that it doesn't require faith to believe it. One thing that makes ministry in a culture of unbelief so hard is that unbelief will not accept what it cannot explain. Here's the second thing I want to show you about unbelief. Why is ministry in a culture of unbelief so difficult? The second reason is this. Unbelief rests on false assumptions. Unbelief rests on false assumptions. I want you to notice the last part of verse 3. They took offense at Jesus. 
The word offense refers to a stumbling block. In other words, they tripped over him. There was something about Jesus that they just could not accept. There was something about him that they could not get past. They were repelled by him. What is it? What is it about Jesus that causes them so much trouble? That repels them. Look at verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You, you know what caused him so much trouble? It was his origin, his lowly origin. You see, they knew who Jesus was. He grew up in that town. His family still lived there. For the first 30 years of life, he'd been a resident of Nazareth. He's just a carpenter, they said. And you know what they called him? The son of Mary. This is an insult because a man was always called by, the, by his father's name, the son of his father. Even if the father was dead. You remember the Bible says Peter was Simon bar Jonah. Simon son of Jonah. Son of John. A man was never referred to as a son of his mother. That was an insult. And you notice this. They don't even call him by his name. They say this man. This man. They say his brothers and sisters are right here in Nazareth. He can't possibly be the Christ. He's just an ordinary carpenter. You see what they did? They made a false assumption. They assumed that a carpenter from Nazareth whose family they knew couldn't possibly be the Christ who ushers in the kingdom of God. No way. Isn't he just a common, ordinary fellow who makes his hands, makes his living with his hands like the rest of us? Why is he parading around like a teacher and miracle worker? You see, in their eyes, Jesus was nothing more than a man who belonged at the bottom of the social ladder. Just a carpenter. Nothing special. See, when they saw Jesus, they thought, he's no better than we are. He couldn't possibly be the Christ. Verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Jesus didn't coin this saying. It had been around for some time. In the Old Testament, prophets were often rejected by their own people. The people closest to them often rejected them. We see it. The prophet Amos was thrown out of Israel for prophesying against the king. Jeremiah was arrested on a charge of treason when he prophesied against the people. The prophet Micah, the same thing happened to him. What's the point Jesus is trying to make when he says this? A prophet's not without honor except in his hometown, among his own relatives, his own house. Here's what he's saying. The people associated Jesus so closely with themselves that they were unable to see him as anything special. You understand? They associated him so closely with their own selves that they were unable to see him as anything more than just common like they were. 
They made false assumptions. They assumed he was no different than they were. They assumed a carpenter couldn't be the promised Christ and king. They assumed they really knew who he was. They assumed he was an ordinary man just like they were. That's why for him to act like he was anything special was offensive to them. He's no better than we are. This is what I need you to see. Their unbelief was built on a foundation of false assumptions. My dad built custom kitchen cabinets. If you've ever been to Brad and Wanda's house, you've seen my dad's handiwork. He built their kitchen. One of the problems daddy always had with customers was false assumptions. You see, they assumed that my daddy could build cabinets as cheap as they could buy them off the shelf at Lowe's. Well, the cabinets at Lowe's are mass produced in a factory and made out of half inch MDF, cheap plywood. Dad's cabinets were made out of all three quarter inch oak and they were made by hand, every piece made custom to fit by hand, not made by a machine. Yes, they cost more, but the quality was infinitely better. But there were some customers, they could not accept that he couldn't build a cabinet for what they could buy it for at Lowe's. You know what it did? It made it impossible for daddy to do business with some people because they had these false assumptions and they just would not let go of them. When people hold on to false assumptions, it makes it hard to get through to them with the gospel. Look, sometimes people don't believe the gospel because they have false assumptions about Jesus. People assume Jesus couldn't be truly God and truly man at the same time. People assume Jesus couldn't have lived the perfect life. People assume Jesus couldn't really have risen from the dead. Sometimes people don't believe because they have false assumptions about God. People assume God would not hold them accountable for their sin. People assume God wouldn't send someone to hell if he's a loving God. People assume that God doesn't care what they do as long as they don't hurt anybody else. People have all these false assumptions that are just dead wrong. Sometimes people don't believe because they have false assumptions about themselves. People assume that I'm good. I'm basically a good person. I'm good enough. I don't need forgiveness and salvation. Sometimes people assume their sin is not serious enough to condemn them to hell forever. Sometimes people assume that when they die, that will be the end of it all. You see, when we proclaim the gospel... These false assumptions can be like armor which keeps the arrow of the gospel from piercing the heart. False assumptions make it hard to reach people with the truth. Why is ministry in a culture of unbelief so difficult? Well, we've seen the first two reasons. Unbelief rejects 
what it can't explain. Secondly, unbelief rests on false assumptions. Here's the third reason why ministry in a culture of unbelief is so difficult. Unbelief won't be overcome by evidence. Unbelief won't be overcome by evidence. Notice what it says in verse 5. He could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I need to make one thing very, very clear. Jesus' power was not limited by the unbelief of the people of Nazareth. In other words, their unbelief did not take away his power to perform miracles. All over the New Testament, Jesus performs miracles where the recipient of the miracle had expressed no faith in him whatsoever. Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. The man never even asked Jesus to heal him. Jesus raised the widow of Nain. He raised her son from the dead and she never asked him to or expected him to. Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee despite the fact that the disciples didn't have any faith. So understand, the Lord can do what He pleases whether you believe He can or not. You with me? So we're not saying that because the people didn't believe in Jesus, His power was somehow gone. It's not what we're saying. Understand this very well. A lack of faith on man's part does not result in a lack of power on God's part. I want to say that again. A lack of faith on man's part does not result in a lack of power on God's part. There was a moral reason that kept Jesus from performing miracles in Nazareth. There was a moral reason He could not perform miracles there. And this is it. It was inappropriate for him to respond to their willful unbelief and hardness of heart by performing tricks for them. Jesus was not a genie in a bottle. They willfully rejected him. They were stubborn and hard of heart. And he was not going to reward their hardness of heart by performing tricks for them. It's the same thing we see in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 and 39. Some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. In other words, do a miracle and prove to us who you are. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. In other words, I'm going to be three days in the tomb and rise, that's the only sign you're going to get. He said, I I'm not going to reward your unbelief by performing tricks for you. Listen, they had seen Jesus perform more than enough miracles to give sufficient evidence that He was the Son of God. They already had plenty of evidence. What's the problem? Unbelief won't be overcome by evidence. Listen very carefully. 
We are saved by grace through. This is not what it says. It does not say we are saved by grace through evidence. We're saved by faith, not by evidence. Now that doesn't mean there isn't any evidence. But salvation requires faith. Think about this. John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb four days. Eyewitnesses, people that saw Jesus call this man out of grave, went to the religious leaders of the Jews and told them, this man just raised Lazarus and he's been dead four days. Surely this is enough evidence to convince those Jewish religious leaders that hated Jesus. Surely this is enough proof that they should believe in Him. I mean, He raised a man from the dead with more eyewitnesses than they needed. Did they believe in Him? No. That's when they plotted to kill Him. Well, look, clearly He's going to have all these people fall. We've got to get rid of Him. I mean, He just raised the dead? And you still won't believe He is the Son of God? What's the deal? Unbelief won't be overcome by evidence. Notice verse 5. Jesus did heal some people, those who demonstrated faith in Him. But for Jesus to respond to these hard-hearted rebellious Nazarenes by performing miracles would have been pointless. Why would it have been pointless? Because they already had sufficient evidence. They already knew of Jesus' miracles. What they needed was faith, not more evidence. You remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man from Luke 16? They both die. The rich man is in hell and he asks Abraham, will you please send Lazarus back to my home? In Luke 16, verse 27, it says, Lazarus said, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Listen to what Abraham said. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Do you understand what Abraham just said? Evidence will not overcome the unbelief of your brothers. What they need is to believe. What they need is faith. Now, it is a good thing to be armed with sound arguments that support the Christian faith. And there are sound arguments that support the Christian faith. It is good to know those. It is a good thing to be able to present evidence that supports the truth of the gospel. It's good to know the reasons we believe the Bible is true and to be able to articulate those reasons clearly. It is very good to be able to do those things. But you understand this. Evidence alone will never overcome willful 
hard-hearted unbelief. Simply will not. You know one reason ministry and a culture of unbelief is so hard? Because sound arguments, reason, and logic are not sufficient to overcome unbelief. Did you know the Bible's account of creation is a far more reasonable explanation for our existence than evolution? Which, by the way, lacks any real scientific proof and is statistically impossible. Did you know that? That evolution statistically is impossible. If you read the creation account, it's a far more reasonable explanation of how all this got here. So why don't more people believe? Unbelief won't be overcome by evidence. Various theories have been proposed to explain the empty tomb. A lot of people don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, so they come up with these theories to explain what might have happened. One of them is the swoon theory. In other words, he didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out from the pain. And when they took him down and put him in the tomb, he just woke up. That's one theory. Another theory is, well, the Roman government took his body to keep them from stealing it. Did you know there is absolutely nothing reasonable about either one of those arguments? Think about this. If the Romans had taken Jesus' body to keep the disciples from taking it and causing this hoax, when people started to say Jesus is alive, what would they have done? They would have put his body on display. No, he's not. Here he is. Right? right? They would have done that to silence all this talk about his resurrection. Why couldn't they? Because they didn't have his body. Well, what about the swoon theory? Isn't it possible that he just passed out from the pain and they put him in the grave and he just woke up later? Well, even if that was true, which is impossible, because they stabbed the pericardial sac around his heart and the blood came out of his heart. Not only that, in his weakened state, there's no possible way he could have rolled that stone away from the tomb because he was inside of it. He couldn't even get to the edges of it to roll it. A healthy man couldn't have moved that stone. The only reasonable explanation is the resurrection. So why don't more people believe? Unbelief won't be overcome by evidence. It's very simple. Listen, I want to try to boil this down for you. What makes ministry in a culture of unbelief difficult? It's the nature of unbelief. It's the nature of unbelief. Unbelief rejects what it can't explain. Unbelief rests on false assumptions. Unbelief won't be overcome by evidence. The nature of unbelief makes ministry in a culture of unbelief difficult. Well, preacher, if what you're saying is true then it would be a miracle if anyone believed. Yes. Exactly. That is exactly right. It's only by a miracle of divine grace that anyone believes and is saved. 
If a person believes the gospel and gets saved, they get zero credit. If unbelief is overcome in a person's life, it's because God did that. Listen, I need you to get this, church. We are not prepared to do ministry in a culture of unbelief until we accept the fact that the task we're engaged in is hard. In fact, it's impossible without the grace of God. Without the power of God. Not only is it hard for us to do it, we just can't. Apart from the divine intervention of God. Now, My intention today is not to drive us to despair. No, 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 no. I want to tell you my intention today. My intention is to keep us from being surprised. To keep us from being unprepared when all of our efforts cannot seem to break through the wall of unbelief. You ever had somebody you wanted so bad to genuinely get saved? I don't mean make a religious profession. I mean to genuinely get radically saved. You ever had somebody you wanted that to happen to so bad and you've tried to talk to them and share things with them and they're like a wall you can't get through? Well, that's unbelief. That's the way unbelief is. And we don't need to be unprepared or surprised when that happened. Also, it's my intention to drive us to absolute dependence on the grace and power of God. The only way we make headway in a culture of unbelief is by the grace and power of God. We need to get to the place where we don't depend on our ability to to talk good. People say, well, I I don't witness because I don't talk good. Do you think for one second that the reason somebody gets saved is because you know how to talk good? Do you think the fact that you're not real good at casual conversation is in any way, shape, or form a barrier to God saving somebody if he wants to? Don't give yourself so much credit. Can you say you're a sinner and only Jesus can save you? If you'll ask him to, he'll forgive you. Listen, if you can say that, that's all you need to say. If you can take a track, these gospel tracks out here, everybody lift your hand. Lift your hand. Close two fingers. Do this. You're qualified. You can do it. If you can take a track in those two fingers and extend it to somebody, you can witness. But I'm going to tell you something. We're fools if we believe our efforts alone are ever going to accomplish anything. We have to do it. We have to understand that we have to put forth effort, but only the grace and power of God can save somebody. We have to get to the place that that we depend absolutely on God. That means my ability doesn't prevent God from saving folk. All I got to do is be faithful. I can't overcome their, their belief. Listen, I'm pretty good with explaining the gospel. But can I tell you something? I get a lot more rejections than I do people who want to get saved. Listen. I want us today to see the reality that we can only succeed in ministry if we do it by God's power and in God's way. Oh, I hope you'll hear what I'm fixing to tell you. We could bring a rock band in here. We could put a fog machine and get colored lights and play fancy videos. 
put a coffee shop somewhere. We can draw a crowd. We can preach how to have your best life now and do all. We can draw a crowd. But that's all you're doing. You're just drawing a crowd. You're not going to get anybody in the kingdom by gimmicks and games and tricks. Nothing but the power of God through the preached word of God, the gospel saves people. Nothing else. Amen. That's right. Nothing else. The only thing we got is the gospel. We have to rely on it. Why? Because unbelief is not overcome by anything else. Nothing but the gospel and the power of God can overcome an unbelieving heart. Understand this, church. Ministry in a culture of unbelief is war. It is war. We can reach people. We can see lives changed by the power of the gospel. We can, but it will not be easy. So get ready for battle. Let's pray.